We find ourselves tonight in uh, Romans 12, 14 to 21. Uh, we'll read that, then we'll pray. Uh, so if you'll follow along, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, once again, we thank you for your love, for your care, for the lessons that you've taught us, for the lessons that you're teaching us. And we know that ultimately this sanctification process will be complete when we see Jesus. In the meantime, as we look at your word tonight, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us. And where we find ourselves lacking, that we might look to you for the grace and strength and power and wisdom to do what you have called us to do in this supernatural life. We do think of our sister Jackie. We pray, Father, that you would give the doctors wisdom and grace and that you might give her some recovery for uh, the things that happened today. And Lord, that she might be able to join us again here soon. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, last week we were looking at the supernatural life part one and getting past uh, the concepts of what so many people seem to be pursuing today. We get down to the duty of each believer. Love is supposed to be without hypocrisy. We are supposed to hate that which is evil and cling to what is good. And then we dealt with the duty of each believer in relation to the family of God. So as Paul says in Galatians, do good unto all men, but especially the household of faith. So this would be the especially part. We're to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Uh, we're to not lag in diligence. We're supposed to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. Now, that was all last week's notes. Why did I go over them? Because that was the supernatural life, part one. Tonight, we're covering uh, part two. And you'll notice uh, letter A, the duty of each believer to all people. So do good unto all men, but especially the household of faith. This is the all uh, people version. So number one, bless those who persecute you. Uh, notice obedience demands not hating and retaliating against those who harm, but go further by blessing them. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but there's a, there's a few things in growing up the way that I did that uh, I just have absolutely no appreciation for. Number one, being blamed for something I didn't do. That, that just bugs the living daylights out of me. Guess what? As a Christian, what does the world do? They, yeah, I mean, if it's not 
racism or misogyny. It's those those Christians. Uh, wow. Uh, here I get saved, and God puts me in the very position that I don't like to be in. He, he does that, and he doesn't mind doing that because it's not about me, that kind of thing. Not only that, but he wants you to go further. Those that are blaming you, persecuting you, you're the problem. You're not only supposed to uh, not uh, take vengeance, as we'll see a little bit later, but you're to turn around and bless them. And it's not supposed to be, oh, bless your heart. It's supposed to be your, to be a blessing to them. So uh, obedience demands not hating and retaliating, but going further by blessing them. Letter uh, B, this is a paraphrase of Christ's words in uh, Matthew 5, 44, Luke uh, 6, 27 and 28, which say, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do the, uh, good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Luke chapter 6. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. And again, notice, what are you doing? You are going to God with the very person that you would like to, your flesh at least, would like to strike out against. Notice, uh, he is referring back, Paul in this passage is referring back to the same agape love of verse 9. So our, our love for the brethren, but we're supposed to be loving even our enemies. Uh, so therefore, how are we going to be a blessing? Well, Luke uh, six twenty nine to 30 says, To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Uh, you know, it is interesting that we're so, and I don't, I'm not even talking about materialism, because though that may be a problem in the U.S., uh, the reality is, is we do believe in private property, ownership of things and stuff like that. And there are biblical bases for all of that. But what seems to be the higher calling here? That we are shining as a light, even among those who hate us, who would do us harm, who would take that which belongs to us. And maybe in this day and age, we need to be reminded of that, knowing that a good portion of our government is rethinking the concept of private property. Now, maybe they haven't done anything yet in some cases, but if you keep your eyes on some of the news that's not mainstream, you'll see all kinds of things where governmental people and agencies are Man, they're taking kids away from people who bring their kid to the hospital. Now, I don't know all the details, and maybe they're totally right in keeping the kid safe. But what about the guy that protests against abortion? Pastor. Now, not a pastor of our kind of church. It doesn't matter. But he's a pastor. He protests against abortion. He's got, is it five or seven kids? I can't remember which. But they... Uh, just about break down his door at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning and in front of his kids, handcuff him and haul him off, even though the state had determined they were not going to pursue this case because there was no reason to. And again, my whole point is, is we're moving into an age where maybe we need to be reminded of these things because there are those that we wouldn't consider enemies that may be acting like enemies before too long 
And it's not what they do, it's what is our response, okay? So um, uh, notice, uh, to be a blessing, you must treat one as a friend. Luke 6, 32 to 33. But if you love those who love you, (laughs) what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Again, the whole concept of if they, if they wouldn't do it for you, that's probably the person you need to do it for. You treat them like a friend. Okay, so that brings us to examples of an encouragement to be a blessing. The first example, of course, is Jesus. In Luke 23, 34, he said, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. How about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 60? He, uh, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Okay? Or how about the encouragement from Peter in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23? For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Notice, what did he do? He did not react, but he committed himself to God. Uh, I'll be honest with you, um, the event that happened, what, three and a half weeks ago now? Uh, shortly after it, I was amazed at how much I was not angry with the person. Okay, I was amazed by that because the second thing that I really don't like, the first one being blamed for something I didn't do, is someone treating me like that, and my flesh just wants to, Ugh! and when it was all done, it's kind of like, well, if we catch him, do you want us to arrest him? I said, what did Wayne say? Wayne said yes, and I go, Yes, fine. And it's not because I'm angry with him. It's because in a civilized culture, you can't do this kind of thing. Now, I know we're getting away from being a civilized culture, but I wasn't angry with him. The man needed help that he wasn't taking care of for himself. And so we'll see what happens in all of that. But I was amazed at the fact that I was not interested in bringing harm back to him because of things that God has done. Why? You commit yourself to him who judges righteously. So that brings us to number two. Bless and do not curse in 14b. Most temptations to curse someone are mere inconveniences and embarrassments. Think about it. How's your driving? Someone cuts you off in traffic. Bless you, my child. Is that how our, what our response is? They haven't driven Highway 70? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you. Though God has done a lot of work in my life, that's not necessarily my first response. It's kind of like, you know, all you slow people, get in the other lane. That's not necessarily being a blessing. Uh, that might be cursing because there's even slower people over there sometimes. But the uh, whole point being is if you want to see whether or not you're up to blessing someone instead of cursing them, consider your driving habits. Because, again, most of the time it's an inconvenience 
or it's uh, an embarrassment that we uh, react so strongly against. Letter B, some studies show that high blood pressure and anxiety-related diseases can be caused by persistent, the idea is habitual attitudes of resentment and hostility. So when you hang on to things and you don't deal with conflict, these kinds of things can, uh, where you're going to be cursing instead of blessing, these kinds of things can actually cause physical health problems. Number three, rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, it's interesting on this particular part, 15A and B, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Most people think the first one's easy, the second one's harder. The reality is, is it's just the opposite. Let's take a look at why. When someone is blessed or rewarded for accomplishment, it may seem that we have missed out or it makes another's, uh, uh, the other person's work seem like something and yours seem like nothing. When will people notice all the things that I've done? And what did Jesus say? If you do it for the acknowledgement today, you've already received your reward. Okay, But we, we have a hard time sometimes when someone else gets a promotion, someone else gets acknowledgement for the things they've done and things like that. So uh, letter B, rejoicing at another's calamity is displeasing to God. Don't you just love it when they get found out and, and the boss rips them over the, the, you know, puts them over to coals or something like that uh, because they've been doing all this stuff and you've known it for so long God says, yeah, I don't like it when you get happy because they had a calamity. You're supposed to bless and not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Paul followed his own counsel in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. It says, and if one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, that's part of the supernatural life. If you're filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, someone else uh, has some honor brought to them, hey, hallelujah, this is part of the body that uh, is being acknowledged for something, and, and so we can rejoice with them. Uh, number four, weep with those who weep. Notice this is the duty of sympathy and empathy is to enter into another's suffering. Now, somewhere in the rush... Um, and pastor, you're better at church history because you've been around longer. Uh, no offense intended. <laughs> but somewhere in the rush, we got away from this idea of a duty. Um, our last song today, a debtor to mercy. You know, God bought us. Uh, he, he paid the, the price so that we might have life. Uh, do we have a duty to live for him? Yeah, you've been bought with a price. You are not your own, right? Uh, and somewhere in the rush within church history, and I would say it's been relatively modern, we get this idea that we don't want to do things from duty because we want to do them because we love Jesus. Here's what I've found. If people don't recognize that they need to do it, they'll find something else to do. And it's usually not, I love Jesus, so I'm going to go home and watch something on TV. It's usually, I'm going to go home and veg in front of the TV because that's going to make me feel good. Why? Because we've thrown duty out. And I want you to understand something. I want you doing something for the right reason, because you love Jesus. But you also have the duty 
to do it. Okay? Uh, and, and again, God's equipped you to do it, and someday you're going to give an account for whether or not you did it or how you did it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, I don't think we should get away from the concept of duty just because we want to say we did it because we love Jesus. Uh, one of the things I've found the longer I've walked with the Lord, I love me a whole lot more than I should. Okay? And, and part of that is God showing that to me and helping me see that, look, bud, you live for you, and, well, you're going to get the rewards of living for you. Live for me. Okay? So uh, the duty of sympathy and empathy is to enter into another suffering. Compassion has the idea of suffering with someone. The word compassion there is splag. Knidzomai. Wow, that's a good one. Uh, to have the bowels yearn, to feel sympathy, to pity, to have or be moved with compassion. We are, we've been called to show the character of God. Is God compassionate? Well, if you look up Deuteronomy 4.31, Nehemiah 9.17, Lamentations 3.22, John 2.13, uh, Oh, excuse me, that's Joel. Then we have uh, Jonah 4.2 and James 5.11. Let me just read three of the verses for the fun of it. Uh, Joel 2.13. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Uh, Jonah 4.2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. James 5.11. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure, who have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So it is part of God's character, and we are called to show God's character. Letter B, in addition to weeping with those and weep, grief over sins of others, who should weep but don't? might also be included in this. In uh, Luke 19, 41 to 44, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave uh, in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Uh, Remember what I was saying this morning? They should have been expecting Jesus about the time Jesus showed up. They should have been looking for a Messiah that was going to be cut off. And what were they looking for? A reigning king that wouldn't take care of their sin. Take care of Rome, but not their sin. Uh, They should have been aware of that. And he says, because you weren't, this is what's going to happen. Now, he is weeping because they, uh, how do I put it here? Uh, that he's grieving over the sins of others who weep, but oh, who should weep, but they don't. Uh, my wife was saying we were listening to something on the radio yesterday as we were eating breakfast, and um, she goes, "You know, I just really feel sorry for the people 
that are going to be judged for the things that are being done in this day and age. And I said, dear, you got to remember, a lot of what we're seeing done by people in this day and age is the judgment of God already. So here they are, you know, um, pedophilia in California, they're trying to make it legal. Okay. Now, I, I, re- I recognize and I hope you recognize how absolutely absurd that is. But when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. They twisted God into an image that was acceptable to them, and God stepped back. He gave them over, first of all, the sexual immorality, uh, to defile their hearts, it says. And second of all, uh, because they didn't repent of that, he stepped back. He gave them over to defile their bodies, women with women, men with men. And because they did not like to retain God in their hearts or in their minds, God stepped back. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. So a lot of the things we're seeing that we're going, this is crazy. That is the judgment of God. Now, it's not the ultimate judgment of God because if they don't turn and repent, the reason why he's letting them go there is so they can see how bad they really are. Because if you're not that bad, you don't need a Savior. As Jesus said, one who's well doesn't need a doctor. So he lets them go, lets them go, lets them go. And they get so bad that hopefully they'll see. And of course, they don't see very well, do they? They, they should be weeping, but they're not. They're upset with people that think maybe they're doing wrong. Uh, so that's the idea. So uh, par- part of our weeping with those as we, uh, that weep, we should be weeping for those, the sins of others uh, who should be weeping, but they don't. Number five, do not be partial. Now, most of us are big enough to know that that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm a whole person. I can't be partial. Well, that's not what it means, okay? So notice, partiality. God is not partial. Romans uh, 2.11 says, For there is no partiality with God. Uh, then Peter in Acts 10.34 opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In 1 Peter 1.17, And if you call on the Father who is without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now, why is that important? Because uh, we do have a problem when it comes to partiality. Okay? Uh, it says, uh, notice the word, Prosclisis, a leaning toward or a proclivity, favoritism, partiality, and then diacrino, to separate thoroughly, to withdraw from, to oppose, to discriminate, to hesitate, contend, uh, etc. Notice uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and verse 9 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of uh, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, what does that mean? He's going to explain it. For if there should come unto your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, 
to him, sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, uh, how does that apply to us today? How do we treat people that temporarily are somehow different than us? Why do I say temporarily? Well, most of the time, when we are prejudging someone, we are judging them on a temporary basis. How many people are going to be poor in heaven? If they got there, they already are kind of rich, right? And who knows, it is the poor, the meek of the earth that inherit the earth, okay? So though they may be poor, they may be rich in faith, and yet, what were these people doing right here? They were telling the poor to sit on the floor, stand over there in the corner. But the rich, the guy who might somehow be a blessing to them in this world, in a temporary setting, because this world is temporary, right? Uh, They were treating that person like they were something special. This uh, counts towards skin color. This counts towards ethnic background. This counts towards any number of socioeconomic situations. And very often we have a tendency to stereotype one or the other and therefore look at everybody as though they are like the stereotype instead of understanding that within every ethnic uh, color group, socioeconomic group, there may be God's people or people that God ultimately wants to save, and there may be evil people. So we are not to be partial, it says here. Notice uh, letter B. The tendency is to be wise in one's own eyes. In other words, we are making a judgment based upon our own reason, our own understanding of things. And uh, let's see what God says about that. Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Isaiah 5.21, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And How does a person become wise in their own eyes? Well, to be honest with you, if you follow Proverbs uh, through, you will see that it very often starts while a person is still simple. In other words, they're young, they're inexperienced in uh, the matters of life. And when a child is given a lot of decision-making ability to decide for themselves, sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they don't. But very often, in given the ability to make a decision for themselves, they become wise in their own eyes. And uh, the way a child is tilted is already towards foolishness. So with what reason are they going to be making those decisions? Looking into the Word of God or reason? It's going to be reason. It's going to be a tainted, sinful heart that is going to help them make those decisions. So as they grow up and become this adult that God is not pleased with, it all started way back when. Okay, and I only say that because uh, 
the reality is, is that's where it starts. And if, you, if you're not starting in the right place, you're going to end up in the wrong place every single time. Okay, so uh, notice uh, the second letter B. Be of the same mind toward one another. So th- this brings us back to we're not, we're not going to be partial. We're not going to be prejudging other people based on some kind of a temporary thing. Uh, we're not going to reason with our own reason as to whether or not I'm going to like this person or not like this person. We're going to be of the same mind toward one another. So if we all start with the, the basics of human, made in the image of God, saved or unsaved is irrelevant at this point. Friend or enemy is irrelevant at this point. How am I going to treat that person? With respect, dignity, showing them love, treating them the way I would want them to treat me. Yeah, but what if they don't? Where in the Bible does it give you an escape clause from that? Treat people the way you want them to treat you. Where's the escape clause? It's not there. And so therefore, uh, you're to be of the same mind toward one another. Now, these verses are all dealing with God's people, but let's take a look. Now, may the Lord of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, Romans 5, 5. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Philippians 2, 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, in Philippians 2, we've got a couple of women that have a little bit of a conflict. And he's saying, I want you to be of the same mind. It doesn't mean you have to agree on everything. It means you need to treat each other with respect and love, regardless of a disagreement about things that are not uh, laid out clearly in the Scripture. Philippians 3.16, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Notice that last part. Be courteous. Show uh, a modem of respect to anybody and everybody, regardless of differences. That brings us to number six. Avoid haughtiness. Associate with the humble. He goes on to say, do not set your mind on high things. Literally, this means minding high things or... If you want to get technical, he's not talking about minding high things in a spiritual sense, but in the self-seeking pride sense. So, yes, I am smart and you aren't. That kind of a thing, okay? Uh, So you shouldn't be doing that. And that brings us back to the concept of partiality, closely related to be reluctant to show respect for the humble. So someone who is uh, of uh, has a mind on high things usually is not dealing with the other person uh, w- with humility and therefore uh, is being partial. He goes on to say, but associate, the King James says, condescend with the humble. The word associate is sunapago, to take off 
together, to transport with, to seduce, yield, carry, lead away with, to condescend. Now, I guess the thing I'd like you to catch there is the idea that to take off together means you're going in the same direction together, okay? Uh, Now, I guess it could mean you're taking off together in opposite directions. Well, then would you be together? No. So you're going in the same direction together. Uh, The word for humble is tapenos. It means depressed, humiliated in circumstances or disposition, base, cast down, humble, of low degree, low estate, uh, lowly. Now, uh, the concept of humility, does that not go along with walking worthy of your calling? Because what did you do to get, get this calling? Yeah, since God is the one that did all of the calling and the choosing and the predestinating and all those things, you didn't do anything. Yet you got picked. So what did you bring to the table? Well, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, all the things you brought to the table... Well, consider what Paul says. All those things that I hung my hat on before I was saved, now I count them but refuse, to say it nicely. They're garbage. All the things that I thought I brought to the table, now God gifted me and enabled me, gave me talents and stuff like that, but me doing those things where it was all about me, no eternal value. Those things submitted to God in humility, now God may use some of the same talents and abilities, but he's getting the glory. Now they have eternal value. But the fact that I could have run a quarter mile at about 49 seconds when I was 18, well, it's not even worth bragging about anymore, is it? Because can I run a quarter mile now, you know? (laughs) But the fact that the things that I went through gave me the kind of personality that doesn't fear talking to people about Jesus? Yeah, think about the things I had to go through. Didn't like it at the time. But ultimately, it gets used for God's glory. Uh, there's humility there because it's not me, it's what he did to bring me here. Okay, notice number three here. And, and this is pretty important both in this point as well as the next point. There is no spiritual aristocracy in the church. Um, before I read Luke 14, 12 to 14, one of the things that's kind of bugged me throughout my time in being saved is the idea that somehow pastors are these guys up here. And the rest of y'all are somehow down here, unless you disagree with us. Then somehow you think you're up here and we're down here. I want you to understand something. There is no spiritual aristocracy. Maybe... Pastor and I might be a little bit further down the path than you. We might not, depending on who you are. Uh, but the reality is, is we all have the same spirit of Christ living in us. We've all been saved out of sin or from sin. Uh, we've all uh, received the gift of no condemnation. We all have his word. He's the one that enlightens the word to our eyes. And the only thing that might bring us a little bit further down the path is the fact that part of our job is we actually have to get in it and study it. Where I find with a lot of Christians, not all of them, but a lot of them, 
Christianity is something that kind of happens to you. You don't really have to do much. You just have to try not to do some bad stuff. Kind of like, no, that, that's not how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to be in it. We're supposed to be studying it. And then the Spirit of God brings us along. But there is no spiritual aristocracy where someone is better than someone else and therefore associate with the humble. Number seven, do not be wise in your own opinion. Uh, letter A, this is a conceited, self-promoting Christian. This is a serious contradiction. Okay, uh, humble submission to the will of God is found in the Word of God, and having no confidence in himself or in his own wisdom and talent. And again, things that God did to give you talents and abilities, wonderful, but until they're submitted to God, they have no eternal value. So the idea of, hey, everybody, look at me, am I not something, is contradictory to what a Christian is all about. Any trust in self only results in self-deception and a fall. Now, uh, I do need to go back and read Luke, but let me do 1 Corinthians and Galatians first. 1 Corinthians ten twelve. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Or Galatians 6, 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Going back to the spiritual aristocracy, uh, Luke 14. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor uh, rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just." So take care of the people that can't take care of you. That's the idea there. Okay, that brings us back to letter B, the duty of each believer toward enemies. So we started out with how you're going to treat everybody in the church. Now we're, uh, we've covered how you're going to treat anybody. And now we're going to get a little bit more specific and deal with the people that don't like you. You, you might not even like them. Okay. So, starts off with, repay no one evil for evil. This is the second aspect of the principle that's taught in verse 14. First, don't curse them. Second, no revenge. Okay, this is the Old Testament principle of an eye for an eye. And I don't know, if you ever watch any old westerns, this is one of those verses they, they remembered. An eye for an eye. This man killed my brother, I'm going to kill him back. And I might kill him twice. You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, well, uh, it's amazing how many people use that, con that verse out of context. Okay, so le let's look at a couple of verses here. Uh, did I skip a couple? No, they're after that. Oh, well, I, I, if you go back and read Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21, it deals with the whole concept of an eye for an eye. But notice, number one, this pertained to civil justice. This is not dealing with personal revenge. So if so-and-so killed your brother, it doesn't give you the right to go and kill him back. It gives uh, the government the opportunity to make sure that the punishment is just with the crime. Notice number two, it is meant to control the severity of the punishment uh, so that the punishment does not exceed the offense. 
Okay, uh, I, I don't know if you follow any of the news where they talk about uh, what happens at various courts. I have seen where, well, we know a young man that grew up uh, around this area, went to the church here for a little while. Uh, he was given 27 years for killing someone. Uh, I can't justify what he did. But how many times have you seen where someone killed one, two, or more, and they got seven years, and they were out in four and had some community service and some parole time? See what I'm saying? Which one was equal to the offense? The reality is the 27 years is probably much more just, correct? And then I read the story where a kid is caught molesting an infant, and he goes to court, and the mandatory sentence is 25 years. And the judge said, well, I don't see where he really hurt the kid, so I'm going to give him six months. See, an eye for an eye means when we go to the court system, they give a punishment that is worthy of the offense, We don't want to overly uh, punish someone. And at the same time, we don't want to under-punish someone. When you, uh, I think it was Ben Franklin, and it might have been someone else before him, and definitely someone after him. But uh, when you don't punish the guilty, you do not do righteousness by the innocent. Um, That's the reality of the matter. One of our founding fathers, uh, being a wise man, though he may have been a little crooked on the side. Oh, well. Okay, so um, we see here that it's an Old Testament principle dealing with civil justice, and it's really talking about the punishment should equal the crime. Letter C, Paul and Peter wanted believers to go a step further instead of uh, repaying no evil for evil. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. First Peter 3, 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So uh, again, both Peter and Paul want us to go beyond, not, not just not uh, retaliating, but being a blessing to that person. Number two, have regard for good things in the sight of men. The word for regard there is pronoeo, uh, uh, consider in advance, uh, look out for beforehand, actively, to provide for. In other words, you should have a built-in protection against angrily repaying evil for evil. In other words, you're intentional in preparing for. Now again, if we go back to we're not going to curse, but we're going to bless, if we're going to do this here, that means we understand that someone may do evil to us where our natural reaction is going to be, praise God, glory to Jesus. No, it's going to be fleshly. So what do you have to do? Are you going to put off the old You're renewed in the spirit of your mind, or as Colossians says, uh, no, that's what it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's Ephesians 4, 
can't remember exactly how Colossians says it, but it says the same thing. And then you're to put on new behavior, which means you've planned ahead of time when that time comes. And you, you might practice, you might go over it in your head so that when that time comes, you can respond by blessing instead of cursing, by instead of uh, being prepared to retaliate, you, you learn to forgive as quickly as possible. That's the idea here. And notice he says, have regard or consider beforehand for good things in the sight of all men. The word good here is kalos, which is intrinsically good, proper and honest. And notice it's visible. It says in the sight of all men. So again, you're planning out ahead of time how you can do good even to those who are uh, doing evil to you. Number three, live peaceably with all men. Notice this characteristic is conditional. It says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. And again, that may mean you've got to prepare your mind ahead of time to be ready to forgive because sometimes people don't care. They do say hurtful things and they're not going to come looking for peace because they don't care. And you're not going to want to live in bitterness because they don't care. You're only hurting yourself. And so you uh, prepare, you have regard, you consider ahead of time the good things, the concept of forgiveness, uh, recognizing within that, look, God is going to take care of this. How's he going to do it? Well, I just can't wait till the judgment. That way God will get him. How about what if God saves him? Are you going to be able to let go of the thing? No, no, I wanted him judged. Ah, be careful. So again, uh, to prepare beforehand. Live peaceably with all men. Uh, letter B, peace. To be in a right relationship with another. Notice conflict is always between two people. Our responsibility is to do all that we can to go to great lengths to have peace. Uh, Here's what I have found. If there's conflict between two people, the best thing you can do is run away. Go to church someplace else because obviously the people in that church are going to be so much better than the one you just left. Now, I'm being sarcastic, okay? Uh, Pastor and I both spent a week on a Wednesday night talking about settling disputes, and Pastor talked about how Paul and uh, Barnabas, two close guys, had years of time together, and even they had a conflict. As far as we know, the Bible doesn't say they ever fixed it, okay? Okay? But here, here we had two messages on settling conflict and disputes between believers. And the reality is, is the natural tendency is to run away. Run, hide, shift the blame, cover up. Instead of, as far as it depends upon you, do everything you can. Go to great lengths to, res- to live at peace with all men. Uh, a couple verses here. Uh, Matthew 9.50, salt is good. What are we supposed to be? Salt. Salt preserves and it gives flavor, right? 
Salt is good, but if it loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Notice what he's saying here. Now, we know there's another passage that says, if salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing other than be cast on the ground and trodden underfoot, right? Well, here it's saying, have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. In other words, be who you are, and as much as it depends upon you, resolve conflict. Even to the point where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Shame on you for bringing these things to public court. You should have just taken the loss. Okay? So, to go to great lengths, take the loss. If it costs you something, God's going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. Okay? Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And again, if, if there's been a financial loss and you take them to court, if you had just taken the loss, especially if the other person didn't see things the way you are, is it not edifying to forgive them? Exactly. Hebrews twelve fourteen, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, being salt, without which no one will see the Lord. You know, we, we have this... Uh, concept of the security of the believer down so well that we forget that the Bible actually says you're not going to see God if. And it lists a bunch of things, and we don't work on those things. Because, oh, we're saved and we're secure, and no, 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 no. You're saved if you're working on those things. Think about that, okay? Going back to Pastor's uh, sheet this morning, and you know, when he handed me that sheet, I read through it, and uh, he asked me what I thought. And I said, well, when I, when I got through it, I, I was wondering if I was saved, and I was pretty sure no one else was. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a good document. If you haven't had a chance to take a look at that, please do, uh, because the reality is, is there are several different kinds of faith, as he pointed out this morning. Uh, so, number four, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Whose wrath are we talking about? Obviously, we're dealing with God's wrath at this point, right? Not our wrath. Okay, don't give place to your wrath because, of course, that would mean uh, avenging yourself. And he goes on to quote uh, Old Testament verses here. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. Second Samuel twenty two forty eight. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. Nahum one two. Uh, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his. Uh, Hebrews 10.30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Whole point being is, uh, if we move on down here, notice number one, only God knows all that is necessary to deal appropriately with the situation. I don't know about you, but when, when there's conflict between two people and you talk to both sides, uh, you know, the first guy gives you his side, and Proverbs even tells you, that one sounds right on until you hear the other side. Now, here's the thing. 
both sides don't know all the things that led up to it. Have you ever gotten into an argument with your spouse uh, that you sit there and say, wow, that went from zero to, Larry said that he's never been in an argument with his spouse. She says it, and he says yes, dear. No, uh, um, the, the reality, though, is when you think about the reaction that came, it went from zero to 90 in, in like two seconds flat, and it's kind of like, whoa, talk about making the mountain out of a molehill. Was it a molehill? Again, you don't know all the things that led up to that. How many times she had to pick your socks up off the floor or your underwear under, out from underneath the pillow or whatever the case may be that all of a sudden you dropped a napkin on the floor and she goes through the roof because you don't know. She doesn't know that your mother trained you to put your stuff there, right? Or whatever the case may be. Uh, again, you don't know all of the circumstances. So with that in mind, God's the only one that knows it all and therefore is the only one that can deal appropriately with the situation. And of course, the other thing is God will deal with it in his time, in his way. We just read a verse where uh, he said, I'll take care of it. Now, we're, we're looking forward to God taking care of it. No, you really don't want to be on that side of the fence either. But he, he, again, he may save the person. And that's how he fixes the problem, by changing them so that they're not putting their underwear under their pillow, whatever the case may be, okay? In God's time, divine judgment will come. That brings us to number five. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So to not take vengeance, that basically means you did nothing. That's not what he wants you to do here. Once again, God calls us to return good for evil. And Paul is quoting from Proverbs 25, uh, 21 to 22. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. When an Egyptian wanted to show public contrition, he would hold a pan on his head and uh, have coals put on that and walk through town so that people knew, yeah, he, he's really repentant at this point. And, and that's where the idea comes from. So this is an Old Testament principle that is repeated by Jesus. Exodus 23, 4 and 5, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him. Again, now, who, who, who's donkey? Your enemy. Not just your neighbor, your enemy. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying under its burdens, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. He's your enemy. Doesn't matter. You do what's right. Proverbs 25, 21, 22, I already uh, read for you. Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Again, why? Why do I have to do all this, Lord? Look at the way they're treating me. It's not right. God doesn't know. Or how about God's purpose is more than your comfort? It is to bring those to the light. 
And it is your response as one that is living the supernatural life, showing the light, that may do that. Yeah, but what if they don't? It, 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 it was an inconvenience in my life. Yeah, exactly. It was an inconvenience. God will reward you accordingly. So it, these are things that, again, in this day and age, we may need reminding of because before you know it, we may find ourselves in that very situation. Any questions or thoughts? Yeah, especially if you set a bag on fire in your porch there. No, uh, when, I, when I think of the, the event that happened three and a half weeks ago, do I consider that man my enemy? He sure, sure acted like one, didn't he? Um, again, my, when I come out and he's screaming and then it says, oh, they sent you like, and I, I take my hands out of my pocket and say, I don't know what you're talking about. And the next thing, he's running at me, jumping in the air to punch. Acting like an enemy? Sure. But who's my enemy? Yeah, I can only think that here I am, shining as light, the scent of life to those who are alive, the scent of death to those who are dead. Now, is the man saved, unsaved? I don't know. But I promise you that when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're not talking about, you know, I was out preaching the gospel and some guy walked by and spit on me. I've had it happen. Okay? We're talking about what's going on between the demons and the angels and the children of light compared to the enemies of our soul. And they instigate people, sometimes save people, unsaved people, to do things that bring harm. There's the enemy. So, again, they may act like enemies. And, and if you don't look beyond the, the flesh, it's very easy to not like politicians, lawyers, bankers, insurance companies, and so on. But if you see the spiritual being active behind them, it's kind of like, you know, I can treat this person with humility, with uh, respect, with dignity, regardless of how he treats me, because he is not the problem. I can do what I'm supposed to do. But again, my thinking has to be prepared ahead of time. Why? Because, boy, does our flesh not act quick. Uh Uh-huh. So, things to consider. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for uh, what you've called us to. Uh, We don't always understand it, don't always appreciate it. But you have given us all that's necessary so that we may live as lights shining in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that we need to see, that we need to consider beforehand, so that we may react, respond correctly for your honor and glory, and be salt and light in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Have a good week, Lord willing, see you on Wednesday.